Welcome to The Exit, a podcast focused on driving better outcomes for business owners facing one of the hardest decisions they'll ever have to make, the sale of their business. The podcast will share insights from experienced advisors and other business owners on key elements around preparing your business for sale and maximizing the enterprise value leading up to that sale. Whether you're thinking of selling your business or you want to maximize the value of your business, you always want to keep your eye on The Exit. Hello, everyone. My name is Brett Deering, and I'm a certified exit planning advisor and the host of the Exit Podcast. Today, I'm excited about the focus that we'll be having in this today's podcast, preparing your business for growth and working with the right financial partner. And here to talk more in detail about this important topic is our guest, Will Dowden, partner of KLH Capital out of Tampa Bay, Florida. Welcome, Will. Thanks, Brett. Really appreciate you having me on this. We're, we're excited to have you. This is a conversation that I can tell you I'm having uh, at least once a day with business owners in regards to the growth of their business. But before we get there, I uh, just want to give a little bit about your background. Will is a partner at KLH. Uh, he's involved in all functions of the firm, including the origination, structuring, and executing of new investments. He also focuses on management of the portfolio, serves on the board of directors for all of KLH portfolio companies, and is a member of the KLH Investment Committee. Finally, uh, Will is also the main contact for their limited partners. Will, again, great to have you as a guest on the Exit Podcast. Yeah, uh, appreciate that. Obviously, the long kind of explanation of everything we do. Obviously, we got a great team down here that that helps me execute all that, and um, uh, look forward to sharing more about our firm and, and how we do what we do with uh, you and, and your listeners. Well, that's great. I mean, from your perspective, maybe it'd be, for our listeners, it'd be really good to kind of get your uh, take on your background and your experience and what really brought you to KLH? It's kind of a, a little bit unique story for uh, our industry. I um, So I grew up in Kentucky uh, on a 50-acre farm and, you know, never really knew what a stock was or private <laughs> equity or anything like that. Um, nice. Ended up uh, going to school at the University of Virginia and then uh, ended up joining uh, some alums down here in Florida who had started KLH Capital. And mm. uh, I was actually the, um, the first employee. So before me, it was the, the K and the L of KLH. Wow. And um, so uh, I've been here at KLH uh, for over 10 years now. This is all I've ever done. Uh, I kind of grew up in the business. Um, interestingly, I, I actually joined uh, right before the recession. So I joined uh, in 2007. Okay. And so um, it was kind of baptism by fire. Uh, sure. We did, yeah, we did um, three deals in the first 90 days after I got here. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, did another one in the beginning of 2008. Um, we already had a portfolio of, I, I think, four others. So we went into the recession with, uh, you know, eight or nine portfolio companies, and wow. um, you know, it was it was a wild time. Uh, we actually did very well. We had done a good job of of, of selecting businesses that were, um, you know, fairly recession resistant and things like that. And we sure. had really good managers in our portfolio companies that, um, you know, made some of the moves they needed to make, and and we came out on the other side you know, fine, but uh, certainly uh, kind of a, a very unique, you know, first three years of my career and uh, um, certainly helped uh, shape how we think about things and how we go forward today. Sure, sure. So, you know, that's that's kind of a, an interesting topic. And I mean, especially talking about, you know, 2007 and what we've seen. I mean, obviously, we're going to get into this market cycle. I mean, we've seen an extended, you know, prime selling time in this in this 10 year cycle. 
uh, moving past 2017 and, and creeping into 2018. So we're going to get to that um, and would love to get your thoughts on kind of what you're seeing from a trend perspective. But, uh, you know, for our listeners, maybe we should just start off with just the question of, you know, what is private equity? I think a lot of business owners ask me that question, and I feel like I do a pretty good job of it, but it'd be great to hear you kind of define what private equity is for our listeners. It's, it is a very difficult uh, thing to define because um, the term gets used loosely and in a lot of different ways. Um, uh, you know, we call ourselves a private equity firm because we have a committed pool of private capital that we have raised Mm -hmm. from investors that we use to invest exclusively in the equity of private businesses. So in its simplest form, uh, we have private money investing in equity of private businesses, and therefore we call it private equity. Um, Whether that is a majority position or a minority position, we, we actually do both. Yeah, that, that's a great that's a great definition, and and you know, trying to get into some of the texture of private equity. So, I work uh, very closely with business owners, and have had you know a lot of experience with private equity groups. And what I would say is, not every, uh, not all private equity firms are alike and or the same, right? And so, and I think a lot of our you know my owners you know kind of understand that. But let's talk about that. I mean. How do you position yourself? What differentiates kind of your firm, KLH Capital, versus some of the other, um, what I would consider to be traditional private equity companies out there from a, you know, from a, a mindset perspective, if that's a good question? So I think some of the items that differentiate us it really trace to our source of capital mm-hmm. and the market that we play in. Mm-hmm. Um, so... First, a very unique feature of KLH is that all of our money that we've raised across funds one, two, and three, uh, fund one being you know $75 million, fund two is $91 million, and fund three is $155 million, all of that capital uh, was from private investors. Right. Um, and, and when I say that, I literally mean individuals and families. Um, so we don't have any insurance funds or insurance companies, uh, fund of funds, uh, you know, uh, endowments, banks. We don't have any of those types of what are typically called institutional investors. Right. And as a result, um, we're, we have, I don't know if it's less accountability, but it's certainly less pressure mm-hmm. to turn investments quickly. Got it. And so one of the things that I think makes us different from other folks is that um, while we are a committed fund and while we run our firm very professionally, um, we don't have to, you know, exit things just to raise our next fund, right? Yeah, I think right. something some, somewhat typical of the industry, uh, you know, there are folks that um, you hear the term selling your winners and holding your losers mm-hmm. um, because it makes your track record look good so you can raise more money. Sure. Um, you know, we actually uh, we actually raised fund three, having only exited one investment from fund two. Wow. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, so it's pretty I'm, a little unique. So yeah. Well, I was going to say, you know, from my side, sitting on this on the table on the side of the table with a business owner, I can tell you that it it feels different. And when I say it feels different from an engagement perspective. Uh, it feels different in how you uh, and KLH engages uh, business owners versus some of the other firms that I've worked with. It seems and it feels like um, there's a little bit more of a 
uh, longer-term view. Um, there is a little bit more of a collaborative and partnership-type feel with the business owner. And I can tell you that, you know, in those opportunities where I've had a chance to work with you, Will, as well as KLH, it's definitely resonated with the business owners. Is that accurate from a perspective of how you think and feel um, from a difference perspective around KLH and other firms that are out there? I think we have a healthy amount of patience. Mm. And I think that is important um, when you're working with, with small businesses. And I think that's the second part of what makes us unique is that um, we've, been, we've been very successful. And while our funds have grown a little bit, mm-hmm. um, you know, most folks in our industry that have great success um, move up market because they can raise more and more money and manage more and more money. And, and you know, to some extent, that drives their personal earning potential. Mm. Um, but it changes the size of companies you work with. Um, we have always, you know, since I got here and before that, when, when my partners ran a, another firm uh, from the late 80s through the 90s into the 2000s, um, you know, we have always focused on businesses with kind of, 10 plus million of revenue, 2 plus million of earnings, and um, we, we kind of stop or, or we, we start to, uh, it starts to get out of our market around you know, 100 million of revenue and around uh, 10 million of profit. Mm-hmm. And so staying in that market, um, you know, we're, we're partnering with businesses who have never been involved with institutional capital before. Right. And uh, we're partnering with businesses that are family owned. Um, and there's unique um, personal dynamics and political dynamics of that. Um, you know, these businesses oftentimes um, have grown very quickly and sometimes have kind of outrun their infrastructure, which is something that I think we'll talk about later in this podcast about how we help with that. Yeah. And, um, you know, you can't just come in and say, I'm a big shareholder now. Y'all need to do it this way, and it needs to be done like this tomorrow. Yeah. And, uh, you know... Um, and I can we, tell you are, that I can tell you that that has happened with a few of the, the the owners that I've worked with before. So it's not that it doesn't happen, but um, you know, from your perspective, it, it clearly is not the way you believe or your mission statement around how you engage owners. No question. And you know, so to summarize that, you know, and just kind of giving uh, a little bit of an overview or summary of what you're saying, you know, you're not in the business of managing these businesses. So in other words, you are partnering with the business owner who's managing and, grow, you know, and, and, and running the day-to-day of this business. And really, you're there as a partner to help facilitate the growth of that business. Yes. Uh, you know, one thing that we, we hear from folks, you know, we might get introduced to someone. I know you've heard this, right? If, if you were to introduce us to someone, sometimes people say, oh, yeah, you know, that sounds great, private equity. Um, I'll call those guys when I'm ready to retire. Right. When I'm ready to to sell the whole company for you know 100% sale and and walk away the day after. Sure. And that that frankly is just not anywhere near the time that we are involved. Um, right. You know those those types of transactions are done by strategic buyers or by people that have management teams they want to drop in and run businesses. We really are an intermediate step. Uh, if someone's looking to retire, we want them to be calling us you know, five, seven years before that, right? Or if someone's struggling with some growth opportunities and they say, man, you know, I can slog away at this for the next, you know, five, ten years, but if I had a teammate and had some capital, I, I might be able to do it in three. Right. That's when people should be calling us, not when they're completely burned out and, and they're ready to hang up the spurs. Um, 
it's it's when they say, man, there's some opportunity here, but I, I need a teammate to harness it. Um, to that point, we never own 100% of a business. Right. Um, in fact, I don't think we've owned more than 90% of a business. Typically, our management teams own you know 20% or more, and in some situations, uh, we have one investment right now where we only own 20%. Right. And the management team owns the other 80 because it's a minority investment. And so, again, you know, you, you want to talk about having to, to be collaborative and be a good partner. Well, you know, it, it kind of it's it, this seems like a great point for us to kind of transition into the differences of, of buyers. Right. I mean, I think you mentioned a strategic buyer for our listeners. Give a little bit of a, and I, I think you've done a good job of that. But if you could kind of give a little bit of a difference between kind of a, you know, a financial or private equity uh, partner versus a strategic buyer, what in your mind are the differences uh, for our listeners? You know, in the purest sense, uh, you know, we would consider a strategic buyer as an operating business that wants to buy another business and effectively, you know, either fold the target business into their platform or make it a division or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's going to become part of a larger organization. Um, there certainly are companies um, that would be considered strategic buyers that have private equity behind them. Um, in fact, you know, portfolio companies that we're invested in uh, can be considered strategic buyers when we're helping them, them, our companies, do acquisitions themselves, which is something we do. Right. Um, but in the truest sense, the difference is you know, private equity is, is, is um, independent capital that's not tied to one specific business mm-hmm. um, being invested into uh, a new target, a target platform, and keeping it independent. Uh, it, you know, some firms, I think, you know, uh, share a lot of resources between portfolio companies. Um, that can be positive. That can be negative. Um, for our portfolio companies, everyone is independent. Yeah. So as far as each, each company we're invested in, as far as their connection to us, we are a shareholder and we sit on the board. Mm. We don't make them bank with our banks. Uh, we don't make them have the same health care that I have. I, I you know, don't make them use the same CPA that I have. Right. Um, you know, we don't share office space, right? Um, <laughs> everyone is independent. They're their own business, and, and that's for a couple reasons. Um, one of the most important reasons as it pertains to our management teams is that if every other investment I made went bad, you know, knock on wood, hopefully that never happens. Right. But that wouldn't affect that individual's business, mm-hmm. you know. And so because everyone owns equity in all these businesses, they want to know that they, you know, they can't get, you know, drugged down by someone else that's not affiliated with them. Right. That's very different than a strategic buyer where, you know, a company would become a division of a, of a bigger business and all the debt is cross-collateralized, and you know, if one division is sucking wind, they may be stripping cash out of this in, this division and not investing in it to save that division. Right. Um, you know, th- those dynamics we don't have any of that. Everyone is is their own island and can do their own thing. Um, we do collaborate. Um, you know, for instance, we we, we have a business, um, one business that ran a, a manufacturing facility and had a bunch of uh, industrial air compressors mm-hmm. in their factory. Um, and we happened to be invested in a business that uh, was you know, one of the largest distributors and services of, of industrial air compressors. So we certainly <laughs> made sure they got good service and, and <laughs> connected the people, but we never, you know, we certainly never said you have to use these people. Right. Um, but we've called on relationships like that because, you know, good people help good people. And, uh, you know, we take advantage of, of certain synergies like that. 
Sure. So, you know, look, I, I think, you know, one of the things that I wanted to accomplish as a goal for this podcast today is that, I, to your point, I think a lot of business owners think about private equity and the fact of saying, well, when I'll, I'll call them when I'm ready to sell my business. Uh, and, you know, they're missing out on a real opportunity of growth for their business. And that's one of the things that I really want to kind of drive home today is preparing your business for growth. And to kind of set that up, I mean, we have to talk about these cycles that we're seeing in the private market. Uh, and, and again, I mean, if you take a look at kind of these, the typical cycle, I mean, they usually run on average about 10 years. And we're probably going into four years of a prime selling time market for, uh, for businesses, privately held businesses. And so if you think about, well, you know what, I'm not really willing or ready to sell my business today, uh, but I feel like I may have five years left in the tank where I really want to just put my head down as an owner. I really want to focus on, you know, driving efficiencies and growing the revenue of this business. And I want to look up in 2023 and really start thinking about, uh, you know, the possibility of selling my business. This is who this podcast is for and, and want to talk a little bit about that, uh, if that's okay. So kind of leading into the next segment, which is, you know, what are the benefits to a business owner who's looking to grow their business, right? wants to grow that business and, and now has a financial partner like KLH Capital, what's the benefit to them? The benefit is, in its simplest form, that we have certain experiences and certain skill sets that typically um, aren't present on salary in uh, a, a given small operating business. Mm-hmm. Um, again, small, I say that affectionately because that's all we do. <laughs> right. um, but but kind of that you know ten to hundred million of revenue, two to ten million of profit, um, you know in those businesses you typically don't have a full time uh, M and A professional. Mm-hmm. So if you're considering uh, you know buying your competitor or vertically integrating with a supplier, um, or you want to open three new locations and and you know you need to do the math on what's that going to cost you in terms of working capital and operating expenses to get them going and the capital outlay to build it out. And, and then on top of that, you need to figure out where you're going to get that money. Right. You know, all that type of stuff falls into our domain, and that's what we do every day. And yeah. so we, we become a real value-add partner working on topics like that. We also have the benefit of having worked with a lot of different businesses and a lot of different industries. Um, you know, the nice thing is that once we're invested – our sole objective is to grow the equity value of the business, which is also where our partners win as well because they're mm-hmm. in the equity of the business. And so we draw on those experiences and use them to the benefit of ourselves and our partners to make better decisions, to avoid making mistakes, to, you know, we kind of talk about it as you, know, you don't have to start with training wheels, right? Right, um, right. Uh, you know, I think we'll talk about some of the other things we do, but, um, you know, we've seen people try to do system implementations that haven't worked. We've seen people uh, deal with theft of IP. We've seen people deal with um, union strikes. We've seen, you know, look, these, these are not things we all want to be dealing with, but the reality is they can happen. Right. And it, it's better to have someone partnered with you that says, yeah, we've dealt with this three times before. Here's the playbook. Here's what we do, and and we tackle those programs, uh, th- those problems aggressively, um, and get it right the first time. Right. Yeah, yeah, um, I th- and it's interesting. You you mentioned that. I mean, I, the way that I see this, and and kind of how it it benefits. Uh, one of the key benefits is that you know business owners are successful because they do one thing 
Well, they do a lot of a myriad of things well, but they, they've really focused on one thing and they've really executed well on that one thing, and that's their business. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when it comes to growth, I mean, that's an entirely different conversation. You know, thinking about acquisitions, thinking about the efficiencies of operations in your business, being able to go in and make those changes, these are things that business owners really haven't thought about. And so you need to have a partner that thinks about these things every day and has been successful, but most importantly, and I, and I say this and underscore it, that has a track record, a successful track record of being able to do that for other similar businesses, um, I think is important. And I think that's one of the key benefits uh, and importance of having a, a financial partner uh, like KLH Capital when it comes to the growth of their business. Is that, does that sound accurate? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good summary. Um, I, you know, I think one more anecdote or, or to kind of bring that, that home is, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, businesses go through inflection points and, and depending on the business, depending on the industry, it may be, Hey, you know, when we got to 5 million of revenue, there was an inflection point where we had to change our business. Mm-hmm. And then at 20 million of revenue, we had to change our business. And now we're, we're, we're 35 million of revenue and, uh, it's straining and, you know, um, a lot of entrepreneurs, um, you know, that's the biggest business they've ever run, yeah. you know, especially if it's a family business that, that maybe transitioned, you know, from from founder to, to second generation at some point already. Um, you know, that, that may be the biggest business they've ever run. It may be the only business they've ever run. And so um, that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. But you want someone that's been there before right. as your teammate. Um you know, one one interesting challenge uh, in small businesses, we know everyone wears a lot of hats, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, as you grow, you, you have to decide which people are going to take off which hats and pass them down. Right. Because you can't you can't just have the same top you know seven branches to the org chart or top three branches to the org chart forever. I mean, w- we invested in a business several years ago that was. 600 employees, um, 100 million of revenue, and I mean, there's the CEO, and then two key people, and every person in the company had a dotted line to the CEO from an org chart perspective. <laughs> that's what we and call you know a what? flat. That's what we call a flat organizational chart. <laughs> right, and and it got there because the business was growing very quickly, was having a lot of success. Their customers were growing. Their customers were giving them more work, and they never got the chance to pick up their head and work on the business. Yeah, it's not. It's not. You know, it's not wrong. Uh, it's just not optimal. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we spent the first kind of two years working on was um, figuring out how to organize the work chart, bringing accountability, putting incentive programs in place so that people. Uh, could control their own destiny about how they were rewarded for their performance, um, you know, because the business had been running and gunning, and it had grown from 40 to, you know, 100 million of revenue in like four years, five years. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's a lot of growing pain, right? Yeah. So they hadn't had the time, because they were growing so fast, to put in the systems that they needed to to track job profitability. They hadn't they hadn't you know they still literally had a controller and and like two or three clerks. 
Yeah. They, they couldn't produce numbers on a monthly basis. They, they were doing quarterly financials. They needed to have percentage completion calculations, but they couldn't do that because they didn't have enough granular data. I mean, 600 employees uh, scattered all over, being paid weekly with physical checks, no direct deposit, um, with time being collected on paper time cards across the entire southeastern United States. Wow, that's a lot of that's a lot of signatures. <laughs> and, and 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 so you know, look, these are just things that you know. You, you say, man, well, how'd you get there? Look, it's no fault. The guy was very very successful. He's a great guy. He he he's invested in the business still. We've done well. He's going to do well. Um, but he he literally, you know, the reason we parted with him was he said, now I just need help with this stuff. I know my business. This is not my core competency. Can you help me get this done? Oh, by the way. Um, you know, I'm in my, I'm in my sixties and I, I need a little liquidity. My whole nest egg is in here. I'm personally guaranteeing, you know, the, the, the debt and the banking relationship. Um, you know, I was in a car accident 18 months ago yeah. and, um, you know, I got to think about my family. Like if I, if I had died in that accident, I, I, 600 people would have been out of work. Yeah. Because well, I, think, I was the business. And so that's the type of stuff that we get involved in and we work with. And those are some of the growing pains of, of small businesses that, that are real, tangible things that, that we deal with. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, that is such a great and, and palatable uh, example of kind of what we work with, uh, with business owners on the day-to-day. And, and, you know, one of the things that I share is that even in that situation where you've seen that tremendous growth that you talked about, Will, even that business is losing its competitive edge. And the reason why it's losing its competitive edge is because it's not focused on growing and becoming efficient and putting the, uh, you know, the structure and the processes in place to allow it to really digest you know, that, that growth. And when you don't have the opportunity to digest that growth, what you have essentially are doing is, is putting your business in a situation or a disadvantage and you're losing that competitive edge. So I mean, that's something that I think is, you know, a lot of businesses, business owners don't really think about or realize. They're saying, yeah, but Brett, I went from, you know, 15 million to, to 40 million, and, and, and there's got to be something that that's, that's, needs to be said about that. And I always say, listen, congratulations, that's great. But did you focus on the infrastructure and the operations of that business throughout the course of that growth? The next part is, okay, so now that you've gone from 15 to 40, what are you going to do? You're going to pause for two years and deal with all the stuff you've had on the back burner? Right. Or are you going to want to continue to take advantage of the opportunity that's in front of you to go from 40 to 60? Yeah. Without a teammate, without a partner that's been there and done that, you're not going to be able to do both at the same time necessarily. Yeah, that's Partnering with us allows you to do both at the same time. You don't have to stop, deal with things, and then start growing again. Yeah. We can work on those things in parallel to the strategy and to the process of the business. Um, a good example of that is I was going to say, that's a good segue into giving us a, a, a sample uh, or an example of a, a company that you've worked with uh, in, that, in that similar you know, scenario, if possible. Look, we, we've had some really great great success stories, and, and um, I'll, I'll tell you some of our, our best. Um, we invested in a business called Federal Resources, and, um, and actually, if, if, if you end up on our, on our website, kohcapital.com, there's a video there um, that talks about Federal Resources, um, and it's actually the CEO of the business, Robbie McWilliams, um, you know, talking about the partnership with us and what we did together and everything. Um, but the, uh, the story is that Robbie 
was the son-in-law of the uh, original founders of the business. Mm -hmm. And um, the business, the legacy business, was uh, a distribution business into into the naval market um, with a heavy focus on uh, the military of a particular product that went on every Navy ship. Part of the, the life support systems of the, the ship it actually strained seawater uh, so that it could be processed. It, it got the debris out of the seawater so it could be processed into fresh water and everything like that. Wow. And that was the legacy business. They, they distributed that product, sold that product, uh, were the rep for that product, etc. Robbie had joined the business um, and ultimately had seen an opportunity uh, to become a distributor of what's called uh, Seaburn equipment. That's an acronym for chemical, uh, biological, radiological, nuclear, and explosive detection, prevention, safety equipment, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. And he built a division that ended up at the time that we invested, it was about two and a half times the legacy business. The legacy business had been around for you know, 20 years, and he had built it to that big in like five years. Wow. Um, and it was interesting because it was causing a friction uh, between him and his in-laws because they, they owned the majority of the business, um, they were guaranteeing the line of credit. His business was working capital intensive, being a distributor uh, into, the, into the government, um, and he, he needed more capital. He needed to grow, and, and frankly, they didn't, his, his in-laws didn't quite understand his market yeah. um, because it was new and different. And, uh, and so uh, Robbie was growing and growing, and so what we did, we actually partnered with Robbie, bought out his in-laws, bought a little bit of his stock, we uh, left him with a very large chunk of ownership, mm -hmm. and then we, uh, Robbie and KLH, arranged to give some equity to his, I don't remember the exact number, but, but top four or five guys and gals in the business. And we ended up growing that business. Wow. Um, that was, you know, organic. And uh, the reason that we were able to do that was Robbie was a really great leader and really knew his market and really knew... Um, where the opportunities were and how to grow his business, uh, but we facilitated the back end part of that growth. Um, you know, the business you know didn't have a CFO, didn't have a COO, didn't have a director of HR. You know, square footage. I forget the exact numbers, but it was like they had sixty thousand square feet, and, and we moved them twice to get to like two hundred fifty thousand square feet. Um, wow! And uh, full ERP implementation, audits for the first time. Um, I mean just a ton of stuff and um you know ultimately uh it was one of those things exactly like i just mentioned robbie had the opportunity to grow mm -hmm. and he needed capital and he needed infrastructure to make sure as he grew the business didn't break right. and i i feel like i think he would say yeah these guys really facilitated me to be able to run as hard as i could run um, without you know worrying that things were going to break in the background, yeah. and um, and that ended up being a great success for everyone. Actually, the business grew to the point where Rob, uh, uh, Robbie actually uh, approached us and said, you know, hey, what what should we what should we do with this thing? And ultimately, he uh, ended up raising some capital um, and buying us out. Wow. Um, and and so uh, you know we we Great actually story. helped him <laughs> helped him buy it from his in laws and then uh, he actually bought it back from us and it was a huge win for us. Um, it, it, it's turned out to be great for him. He's continued to grow. Um, you know, one of our partners still sits on his board. Um, you know, he's he, he's going on to bigger and better things. But um, you know, we were a nice partner 
during that growth period um, to to help him achieve his goals. No, that that is so helpful. I mean, and I think it's something that our owners will get a lot of benefit from. And we had situations in the recession where we were uh, going to our our management teams and saying, "Hey, we need to." You know, maybe we need to think about a reduction in force, or maybe we need to do a hiring freeze, or maybe we need to, you know, do a salary freeze, right? Um, and in some situations, you know, those were the right answers. In some situations, our management team said, listen, yeah, I hear you, the, the recession, but this dynamic or this group of people or for whatever reason, these are the moves we really need to make. Um, and some of those moves made the profitability of the business suffer in the short run. Um, But we were able to come out on the other side and actually do even better. And that was because we were patient. We we, uh, had, you know, all of our transactions, all private equity transactions involved some debt. Um, We we had used uh, capital in our in our deals from people that we had worked with for a long time that were trusted, that were patient as well. they worked with us. They they struggled through it with us, and we we all did fine. And on the backside, we all did really well. Mm, that sounds great. So let's transition a bit. I mean, look, there's a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. I mean, we've we've seen this market, and man, it's just been when you're looking at multiples and you're looking at kind of where the market cycle is right now today. Um, although you're starting to see a little bit of news in regards to the market potentially cooling, where you know they're talking about this new tax bill and how this could heat up the market with interest rate cuts, I mean, interest rate hikes, excuse me. Um, you know, what do you see from a trend perspective uh, around the market cycles? And, and how would, if you were a business owner, how would you look at today's market cycle from the perspective of potentially selling the business? It's a seller's market. Um, and if people are in the mindset of, you know, I'm ready to sell and be done, um, man, this is a good time to do that. Um, uh, and I wouldn't fault anyone for doing that, right? It's right. not every day that, that you get the chance to, to make um, the kind of money and, and, and generational wealth that's, that's created in these transactions. Um, it, it, but if you're not ready to hang it up and sell and, and ride off into the sunset, you know, I really would um, be thinking about how am I going to prepare myself um, to go through the next cycle, how am I going to take advantage in the next cycle, right? Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. there will be a cycle. There always has been. We know that. And, um, you know, just like I described with, with a Chafalaya measurement, um, you know, are you going to have a partner that's going to be able to help you take advantage of, of buying opportunistically uh, from an acquisition standpoint? Are you, are you going to be well-heeled from a financial perspective in case, you know, the business isn't as profitable as it was? And, you know, will there be someone there to share the load and ride it out with you? And um, thinking about how you go about doing a deal now um, is important. You know, uh, companies uh, trading at higher valuations means more debt. It yep. means, um, you know, more pressure. It means different things like that. And so, um, you know, if, if you want to uh, walk completely away, this is a good time um, if if you're not ready to do that, then you know this is also an opportune time while rates are low and things like that to start strategically positioning your company both from a um, infrastructure perspective and a capital perspective and from a shareholder team perspective yep. to be ready to take advantage. Yeah, you know, and that's interesting. I mean, I think you know, and, and I'll say this, but you know, the 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 the, the highest price is not always the best price, right? And I, I think a lot of business owners 
unfortunately have to go through that, you know, as they go through the negotiation process, to your point. I mean, that does mean more debt. It does mean more uh, pressure and stress. And so, you know, you want to make sure that you clearly understand kind of what the terms look like when you're focusing on, you know, either a, a recapitalization and, and, you know, preparing your company for growth because that's that's important uh, and or if you're looking to, to sell a majority share of that business. And so that sounds great. I, you know, it's, it's it's good insight, I guess, transitioning uh, into and one one oh, sure. one point I'll add to that for just for a second, yeah. uh, Brett is, yeah. and you appreciate this nuance, but for the listeners, there's a big difference between price and structure. <laughs> Can you say that again? Because I I don't think I, I think our our listeners need to hear that at least a second time. You know, when you talk about deals, um, the old adage, the old cliche is, uh, you name the price and I'll name the structure. Right. Um, because they are so closely twinned that you know a price absent understanding the structure in its in its full granularity could can be you know very deceiving yep. um you know a a a business that's valued um for fifty million dollars, but the transaction is only going to uh have three million of equity in it and twenty uh, i'm sorry forty seven million of debt. You know that's a very stressful situation. That's very different than a deal that someone, um, you know, at the opposite end of this pers- pers- uh, perspective, someone may say, "Well, I'm, I'm going to value the business at 30 million, but I'm not going to put any debt on it." Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, very different prices, but also very different situations. And um, if you're if you're a complete seller, you may not care about that as much. Um, um, you, you may care about it to the extent that you don't want the business to. Fold because it gets overlevered, um, but but it may not affect your personal balance sheet because you may not be a shareholder anymore. In every deal that we do, um, the management teams and the, and the shareholders uh, that, that are sticking around are going to to be invested in the equity. And so, what happens next is critical to everyone. Right. And so, we want to make sure that that we're setting these transactions up um, for, to have the best chance of success. And that's you know. We have a good track record of doing that. That's how we survived, you know, the last Great Recession um, in in the in the way we did. Now, I know you said that from the time you you know you agree upon the the letter of intent, you know, it could be anywhere from sixty to, to seventy days, nineties on the out, ninety days on the outset. But I mean, how long, you know, from the perspective of the time that you you sit down and you meet that business owner, uh, from the time that you guys shake hands at the table and say congratulations, we're looking forward to partnering. What's that timeline look like? Yeah, so um, we just invested in a business this year uh, where we first met, and you know, we closed in June uh, of obviously 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, we first met the entrepreneur in 2013. Okay, wow. So it's four years. That's what the I think that's what the owners don't realize is that they're you spend a you know a, a lot of time with these businesses before you decide to invest in them i mean look you 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 really focus on making sure that it's the right partnership but you invest a lot of time in these in these relationships and i think that's important to note look i mean i think we're kind of towards the tail end of you know the podcast and you know one of the sections that we kind of wrap up and you know one of the things that we like to do is ask the you know business owner exchange question or bxo question that is you know, what would be the single most important insights you would share with a business owner listening to this podcast today? Price and structure are two different things. Yeah. Uh, is, is probably about the most important thing I could leave anyone that's unfamiliar with the M&A space with. And um, the second is just that these 
these situations truly are partnerships, and they're they're not. You know, it's not going to be a one year thing. It's not going to be a six month thing. Um, you know, this is this is potentially a, a you know, if there's a lot of opportunity, this could be a ten or twelve year partnership. Yeah. And so, um, it's really important to spend time understanding the track record of the firm, understanding the personalities of the firm, understanding what drives the firm, where their money's coming from, all those types of things. Um, the same way, same way that we're trying to understand the business, mm-hmm. uh, entrepreneurs should do just as much due diligence um, on, you know, the success and the character and, and all the intangibles of the person that's, that's trying to wire their money. Um, everyone's money's green. Everyone wires through the Fed. Like, that is not the differentiator. Uh, it's, it's the personalities and the track record of the people uh, that matters the most. Well, listen, I, I will tell you that, you know, I, um, I've, I've worked with KLH uh, Capital uh, on several occasions, and, you know, I've, I've heard the name, and, and, you know, I've worked with business owners that have actually partnered with your firm, so it's not been something that has been, you know, shared with me by you, but by other individuals that have partnered with you, and the name has come with, with, with the utmost respect. So, you know, we appreciate that. I'm sure that our listeners are going to want to continue the conversation with you on a one-on-one basis. What's the best way for our, our listeners to get in touch with you, Will? My direct line uh, at work is 813-397-1280. Email is will at klhcapital.com. Um, that's obviously the web address as well, www.klhcapital.com. And, uh, you know, we've got a, a bunch of materials and a, and a bunch of anecdotes and case studies and some, some intro videos about who we are on our website um, so that people can, uh, frankly, get a feel of if they even want to place that phone call. And, um, <laughs> but uh, that, that's how to reach us, and, and we love to talk to anyone that is trying to figure out you know, hey, how, how do I grow my business with a capital partner? Or uh, if you're a management team, you don't own the business you work for. Um, how do I buy the business I currently work for but don't own? Um, you know, or or if you want to just uh, just talk about growing businesses and challenges and things like that, um, we we do a lot of just talking with people. Well. I will say this: um, it, this has been a you know a fascinating podcast. We appreciate it, and yes, I will take you up on your offer to both fish and play around the golf in Tampa, especially now with snow on the ground in New York. So, thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for that offer, Will. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to, <laughs> glad to have you come down. So, you know, that's going to do it for today's podcast on the exit. Uh, again, Will Dowden from KLH Capital. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your insights. That's going to do it for us today, people. Have a great day, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. This concludes this week's podcast on The Exit. I'm your host, Brett Deering, and remember, always keep your eye on The Exit. If you want to reach us at The Exit, please reach out to brett at the-exitpc.com. That, again, is brett at the-exitpc.com.